The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and I'm excited today we get to talk about the new heaven and the new earth. All right, so if you're new with us, especially welcome you. We've been studying a book of the Bible called Isaiah. It's written by a prophet that is the most quoted prophet throughout the New Testament, and we're going to talk about some of the things that he saw and predicted, and many of those have already come true. It's pretty exciting. So before we jump into that, just a couple of church-wide things uh, to catch you up on. A couple of weeks ago, we had a children's camp here, and if you drove through Parkview on that weekend, you saw like climbing towers and water slides and everything all around here. We just got the reports back on what happened there, and we had 30 kids that week Uh, put their faith in Christ for the first time. So that was really a cool thing. We're very excited about that. You can clap. They did last hour. That's cool. That's God working. All right. It's good. Um, Another quick update is um, many of you know about Faith Academy. That's a school that we've started um, to serve some kids that we, again, we live in a great city with a great school district. Um, There's some kids that for different reasons, um, uh, need a different place to learn and so Faith Academy has been that place for some students and each year we added have added students this year we're up to 65 in our enrollment for next year so just praising God as we've added a grade and we haven't had to go door to door and advertise or put signs in yards they're coming to us now so God is just working through there and again I just thank you church for what you're doing and thankful for that team uh, serving down there so one other quick thing you're going to be hearing a lot about in the weeks to come is a multiple site for worship that we're launching, God willing, in September. And so there's a training time for people who are doing that next hour. Um, But you'll hear more about that, particularly in August. We'll talk about what does that mean for all of us as a church as we look to multiply what God has been doing in our lives, okay? So um, excited about all that. Let's talk about Isaiah for for a little bit of time here now. So here's Isaiah again. He was a prophet, um, Old Testament, um, just an amazing guy, well-educated. He ministered to four different kings. And God gave Isaiah the ability to see Jesus. And in fact, if you read Isaiah 6, there was an experience he had where God showed him Jesus before Jesus came to earth and before Jesus was the baby born in a manger. So in Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the Lord Jesus high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and angels singing around him, holy, holy, holy. And so Isaiah's response was to just flat out fall on his face because he was in the presence of such a holy and powerful God. And yet God responded to Isaiah's humility and and just designated to him that he has received him, that he has forgiven him of his sins. And then when God said, uh, who shall we send? And Isaiah had the privilege of saying, here I am, send me. So that whole experience of seeing Jesus lifted up, of being aware of his sin, of being forgiven, and then being part of the team. That was Isaiah's experience. And so when you read through the rest of his book, he saw many things. So looking into his future, there's about a 700-year gap between Isaiah and this says Jesus' first coming, okay? 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah predicted some things, like that Jesus would be born of a virgin and that he would be known as God with us. Uh, There were prophecies too, like in Isaiah 9, that this child who would come would be known as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and that he would set up a kingdom that would never end. And so these are some amazing prophecies. Um, Imagine poor Isaiah. So he's sitting this far out, 700 years, 
seeing all these amazing things. And because some other things he saw weren't um, quite as kingly, I guess you would say, because he looked forward and he saw that this, this one who was to come would also suffer. He would be known as a suffering servant who would give his life for his people. He would die for the sins of his people. So you can imagine Isaiah trying to figure all this out. Well, he's going to be a king. It's going to reign forever. He's going to be God with us, but he's going to suffer. So there's those things. And then Isaiah also, we're going to see in our two chapters today, was given the ability to see what's going to happen even for us in the future, okay? And so these two signs talk about the second coming of Christ. This one talks about a millennial kingdom. If you look in the book of Revelation, there's a thousand-year period of time where Jesus is going to return and reign and rule on this planet, and then that will lead us into the time known as the new heavens and the new earth. And so chapters 65 and 66, the last two chapters of Isaiah, really dwell right here in what's to come, okay? So I'm excited because it is so important for us to know what's coming down the road, okay? It's summer, and I would imagine there's some of you that have planned trips, and sometimes when you've got younger kids and you're doing the trip together, it's fun to start talking about the trip. Hey, we're going to go you know, somewhere fun, you know, we're going, um, we're going to Tipton, you guys, it's going to be amazing, and so, you know, so hope, you know, you, you, yeah, and you sell it, and you build it up, and everybody's looking forward to going on vacation, and so um, what's interesting, though, and then that, usually it's a week, or maybe 10 days, or two weeks, and then you're right back in the grind, right, so, but what about eternity that's coming? Why don't we talk much, or know much about what's coming for all of eternity, and so, I'm really excited that we get to look at this because I think how, when we, we've got to ask ourselves, how prepared are we to live for eternity? And I think the more clearly we see what's coming, the more clearly we'll know how we're to live right now, okay? And we definitely live in a day where there is a lot of confusion about the future and about heaven and hell. Like some of the descriptions of heaven make it sound just absolutely boring, like that you're going to have a long white robe on, you're going to have these little dinky wings off your back and a little halo, and you'll be issued a harp and a little cloud that you sit on for all of eternity. It's like, don't sign me up for that. Like, I, I don't like little bathrobes, and I don't want a harp, and I don't want a little dinky wings off my back, okay? So there's got to be something more glorious, and there absolutely is. When you read what the Bible really teaches about heaven, it is, it is spectacular. And so I want to do my best to kind of share some of the things that that Isaiah shared with us. But what's also interesting is there's a lot of false teachings out there. There have just been many books that have sold millions of copies. There have been movies out. You know, some of the titles, even within the last 10 years, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, or My Journey to Heaven, or The Flight to Heaven, or To Heaven and Back, or 90 Minutes in Heaven. These are all books, movies that are out there. One was called 23 Minutes in Hell. And so what you see in all these things is people are claiming to, to have seen things in heaven, and they will describe people with wings on their back and halos, and that the Holy Spirit is blue, and that uh, Satan has moldy teeth. You know, these are some of the things, and I just, and probably the, the hardest one we really have to guard against is so many of these books say that everyone goes into heaven, that is, heaven's a place where everybody just kind of walks into when this life is over. And if you're familiar with the scripture, like, those things are not in the scripture at all. In fact, um, one of the co-authors of the book, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, and I'm not making this name up, his name is Alex Malarkey, okay? So he admitted, this is a quote from him, 
he admitted that his book was a fraud. And he said, I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. And I made the claims that I did, but I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and they continue to. We should read the Bible because it is the only source of truth. And so that's so crucial for us to look at what the scripture really teaches. And when we really do look at what the scripture says, there are some amazing things coming to us that God wants us to know, to give us hope as we live out this day, to give us perspective and what to spend our time with and what to do with our lives. Because really the Bible says our life right now is like a vapor. It's just here and gone. So are we living this life, this very brief life, with the view of what's coming for all of eternity? So let me pray. We're going to jump into this great topic today. So, Father, I pray that you would speak clearly to, to all of us today, those that are watching on various uh, devices now and in homes and all over the place. It's summer. People are scattered. Would you speak to them, even give them just clarity to listen and zone in. And same for us here this morning here and in the atrium. Just speak very clearly today to your people about heaven and about what's coming and about eternity. And Isaiah's main push is, are we ready? Are we ready, God, for you? Are we ready for what you are doing now and what you are going to do for all of eternity? So, so speak to your people clearly, please, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me do this. Before we look at kind of the end of the biblical narrative and story, let's go all the way back to the beginning of the biblical narrative. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, the first verse in the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As you look at the end of chapter 1 in the book of Genesis, um, God says that everything he created was very good. He was pleased with what he made. And when you read the creation account, you guys, there's all the different things God made, but you see the way that it's written. It all funnels down to one peak of God's creation, and that was when God created people, men and women, who alone are image bearers out of all of God's creation. So out of all of God's creation, you and I are at the peak of his creation. We were created uniquely to know God, to worship God, to do our lives with God, okay? And so that's when God created all of that. He said that is very good. He was very pleased with his creation. But then we see chapter 3, where the first man and woman believed two lies. And these are the same lies that confront us every day. And that when we believe these lies, they rob us from a real life relationship and a life-fulfilling relationship with God. Those two lies are God is not good. You can't trust him. He's holding out on you. He's ripping you off. So don't follow God. Don't trust God. God is not good. And the second lie is sin is not that big a deal. You can do whatever you want. You can rebel against God, and there will be no consequences. So God's not good. Sin's not a big deal. Those are two lies we continue to battle this day. The first man and woman uh, believed those lies. They rebelled against God. And so what we see that unfolded from that is what we call the fall the fall. There was creation, and now there's fall. And when the fall happened, there were three broken relationships. First, the relationship between people was fractured. That first marriage, where God meant it to be um, a one-flesh relationship, an intimate relationship, there was now a fracture between the first man and woman. And they blamed each other, and there was distance in their relationship. And as you track their family, their first two kids uh, turned out were one murdered the other. So from the get-go, we see that sin creates devastating 
consequences within relationships. Second, you see a broken relationship between people and God's creation. Whereas God, God created us to, to, to kind of rule and reign over creation, to steward creation, now we see there's an adversarial relationship from creation against us. Any of you that have tried to garden, you know that. If it's Japanese beetles, if it's weeds, if it's raccoons, if it's deer, whatever it is, like I just want to garden, and it was actually doing pretty well until that wind just matted my corn down the other night. Like, so what's up? I'm just, so it's us against the elements, and it goes to bigger scales beyond gardens. You look at what people are suffering in West Virginia today with the devastating floods or in our own bodies, the, you know, some of us are battling tumors and cancers or have friends that are. And so there's now an adversarial relationship between creation and people. And then the most devastating of all was the fracture between people and God. Like Isaiah said, that because of our sins, we are now separated from our God. Whereas Adam and Eve could walk in the garden and just enjoy God's presence, when sin entered, they pulled back from God with shame and there was a distance, and that relationship was broken. In fact, death now has entered the scene. We were created to live eternally with God, but because of sin, there is now death in this world. And so uh, devastating relationships, devastating fractures in those key relationships. So now what we're going to see is this concept of God. The, it's, Isaiah calls it the days of the new heaven and the new earth, that God is going to restore what he had originally created. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 65. So we're going to start here, and we're going to actually start in verse 17. The first verses of, of Isaiah 65, um, God is explaining uh, that there's going to be a day, God is talking to his people. He says, there's going to be a day when people who don't know me right now are going to find me. So God's kind of warning his own people, as Isaiah has throughout his whole book, um, we've got to stop sinning against God. We've got to stop ignoring God. God's people, like we today, uh, were battling idolatry, immorality, and injustice. They were treating the poor very poorly, all right? So that was what was going on, and God was warning his people, look, you guys, there's a day coming where people right now don't even know me. They're going to find me. And so he was talking about the day when many Gentiles would come to faith in Christ. And most of us who are not raised of a Jewish ethnicity are the benefits of that, of God expanding the gospel, you know, throughout the, the races and, uh, eth you know, ethnicities of the world. And so, but the warning to God's people is like, guys, we've got we've to repent and then receive God's forgiveness and be revived. And so he goes on through that and, and just warns of that. Basically, the message is the way we live now has consequences for all of eternity. The way we live now, um, God is going to respond with either judgment or with with blessing. So respond to God now. So that was, that was the tone. So then you get to verse 17, and this is how he begins to describe the new heavens and new earth. So verse 17, God says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So he's talking about the future time where the times of rebellion, the times of grief um, won't even be remembered. We'll be set free from those God won't remember those and hold those over us, and, and we won't remember them as well. So a new heaven, new earth, verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. So first, the new heaven and new earth are places of eternal joy and eternal gladness. Okay? 
We see this also echoed when, as you go on, I feel like we can learn things about new heaven and new earth from Isaiah, but as time progressed and then you go to the book of Revelation, some, in some ways you see things even more clearly because Jesus has come and we understand the ministry of Jesus. And now when John spoke, he was one of Jesus' disciples, and when John spoke about new heaven and new earth, he said some things very similar to Isaiah, but he clarified some things for us too. So, for example, in Revelation 21.1, he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So I want to talk about, just for a little bit, this word new, okay? So new heaven, new earth, what's, what's that mean? Um, sometimes we, I was trying to think of a commodity we use and then get rid of. So like, think about shoes, okay? So when do you get rid of a pair of shoes? For my son, it was the other day when his toe actually poked out of the end. Like, that's a good sign we've got to get rid of that pair of shoes, all right? For me, it might be a smell factor. It might be uh, just wearing thin, just getting old factor. And so even when you get a new pair of shoes, maybe you use the old ones to mow the yard in, things like that, but eventually you get rid of your old shoes. And so when you think new, you think replace. When God talks about new heaven and new earth, you want to think about the word restore, so not totally get rid of, but to restore, to, to renew. And um, let me show you one place. That becomes clearer as you read through the New Testament and when you see the work that Jesus does when he returns the second time. And one place you see that address is in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. And this is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, talking about um, being ready for Jesus and what he's going to do when he comes back. So Acts 3:19. Uh, it says, repent, therefore, and turn back so that your sins can be blotted out, so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive. So he's talking about Jesus died and then rose again from the dead. So heaven has received Jesus. But then it says, until the time for the restoring of all things, which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So there's a time when Jesus comes back from heaven that he's going to restore all things. And Peter drew a line back to Isaiah. The prophets told us about this. The prophets said there would be a time where there's a new heaven and a new earth. So think about restored heaven, restored earth. In fact, if you want to get um, specific about this, and the new earth will, will basically be this earth. There will be places, like if you love the Grand Canyon, I think for eternity, new heaven, new earth, you could go to the Grand Canyon. But, but the newness will be, you would have everything sinful, everything wrong, everything broken removed, and everything that's good and beautiful just enhanced, okay? So for all of eternity, that's where, um, where God wants his people to live. Okay, new heaven and new earth. So new, think about restored, that God is a God who restores. Think about the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So like if you remember back to the day where you first understood who Jesus is and then Jesus changed your life, you're still you, but there's a new you. There's, you are now a new creation in Christ. And so God didn't just like pulverize the old you and then just bring up a brand new whatever creature, right? It's you, but you've been transformed. So think about that when you see new heaven, new earth. This is God restoring, okay? Uh, and so something you draw from that uh, a couple things is that this is uh, a place of eternal joy. And so heaven will not be boring, 
Okay, so just think about an infinitely great God who will just be continually making things new, who will be continually creating, who will be continually thinking of new ways to express his goodness to you and giving gifts to you and reminding you of his presence and his goodness. Just that will not end. So there will be constantly new things to explore, new adventures to experience. Heaven will not bore you. You will just be for every moment of your existence for all of eternity be in the presence of a God who is constantly creating, constantly renewing. And so that's a, that's a beautiful picture. It's a place of eternal joy. Okay, the next one is that the new heaven and new earth will be places without crying or weeping. Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the sound of distress. I mean, some of the most horrific moments in our lives are those moments where we're with someone who's just broken and crushed and just sobbing. And just a few weeks ago, I've had one of those with somebody I'm close to who's really battling some things. And, and that's just hard. Can you imagine just forever living in a place where those are removed? You know, even as a nation, we've seen what happened in Orlando a couple weeks ago and just the grieving in the morning. Or again, what happened this week in West Virginia. When you see the devastation, you hear families that have just been, you know, wracked by this and you hear the cries of anguish. Um, Heaven will not have those things. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I love the beginning of verse 19. I I missed it my first time through. But where, where God said, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and I will be glad in my people. Other words for that word glad are pleasure. I will take pleasure in my people. And so just imagine this, that for all of your existence in eternity, to be in the presence of this amazing God who created trillions of stars, he created the galaxies and the universe and powerful, holy, to be in his presence and to see his pleasure for you. Whatever that expression will look like on his face as he looks at you just Throughout all of eternity, you will experience, you will see his pleasure. Just think about the the people close to you in your life. When they are really pleased with you, like they think you are awesome, you've been doing great things, there's something that just wells up in you that you get in so few places in this life. And then the opposite is true. Like if you've got some people close to you that are mad at you or it's not going well, boy, that has a way of draining you like nothing else in this life. Can you imagine for all of eternity being in the presence of your creator and it is very plain to you that he is pleased with you. He's, whatever that means and whatever that looks like in God's presence, if it's a big old smile, if it's just him just looking at you, if it's the look in his eye, that is your eternal existence of being one who brings pleasure to God. You know, and that, that's true, that, that experience can happen now because that's the message of the gospel that we're sinful people, and before a holy God, like Isaiah, we just belong on our face. But yet God in his grace, by having Jesus die for your sin, Jesus offers to take away your sin and give you his righteousness so that when God looks at you now, he sees you as righteous. He sees you as he's looking at Jesus, not looking at you, the sinner, but he's looking at the righteous Jesus. So that can be our experience now. We can, you know, believe in our faith, in the gospel, that, that we, God is pleased with us because of Jesus. But to, to actually see and be in his presence of your creator being pleased with you, that's, that's phenomenal. So that's, that's why there's no crying and weeping. You are you're pleasing to your creator, okay? 
Here's the next one, new heaven and new earth are places where death has lost its power. Verse 20 says, No more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man will die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. So there's some questions that should come up there. You say, hey, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about heaven. And they talk about a young man living to a hundred. Like I, I thought nobody would die in heaven. And that's absolutely true. So you look at Revelation 21, verse 4, and it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and that death will be no more. So what's Isaiah talking about here? I believe this is one of those moments where Isaiah's looking 700 years before Christ. He's looking forward and he's seeing some principles that are true about the millennium and he's seeing some things that are true about new heaven and new earth. And, so, and then as you read then about what John saw in Revelation, some of the timing of these things becomes more clear. So John lets us know about a thousand-year period called the millennium where there will be some people who will die, but then there's kind of a quick resurrection that happens there. That's beyond our scope today. Okay, so, but the bottom line is what Isaiah is seeing. There is a time where death does not have the same power that it has right now, that, that death will be broken. In fact, in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more death. We see that in Revelation 21.4. Jesus promised us eternal life. So there is, is no more death in, in what's coming. So the power of death is broken. And I want to make sure we catch this. I, I really love it that in, that in this verse, there was special mention of a death of an infant. And if you don't mind, I just want to take a couple minutes here. It seems like every time I talk about heaven or eternity, that this blesses somebody like crazy. I remember last time we talked about heaven, just right there, um, a mom came up and just sobbed because she had never heard this before, that I believe the Bible is very clear that when, when a child dies, if it's a miscarriage, if it's a very young child, that before that child is able to understand who God is, who Jesus is, and understand the gospel, that God um, rescues that child, that God saves that child, that that child w- will spend eternity in, in heaven. And where you see that clearly in the scripture is in the story of King David, that when King David's child was born, one of his children was born, that child for about a week hung in the balance. Is it going to live? Is it going to die? And for that week, uh, David was just fasting and crying out to God and, and just grieving and anguish and asking for God to save that child's life. And then the child died. And so David's close inner circle uh, wondered, what should we do? Should we tell the king? What will this do to the king if he finds out that the child died? So they went and told him, and they were shocked at David's response. Not that he didn't grieve or didn't continue grieving, but he got up and he, he cleaned up, he ate a meal, and they were just surprised. They said, how come you were fasting you know, while the child was still alive and, and grieving, and now, now you're, you've cleaned up and you've moved forward, it seems. And he said this in 2 Samuel 12, verse 23. Um, he said, I cannot bring the child back to me but I know I am going to go where the child is. There was a confidence that he had that he would go. And so you say, well, where was David going to go? Where did he believe he was going to go? And you look at the end of Psalm 23, where David says, the goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David, where's your baby right now that you lost? The baby is dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And I'm going to see him soon. I'm going to be there. And what an, what an amazing 
promise that we can cling to. And so either for you this morning, if you've never heard that, or for you to share with a friend of yours, that's, that's a truth that I believe the Bible is very strong about. And I'm glad that it mentioned it here in Isaiah, all right? So here's another truth about heaven is that new heaven and new earth will be places where God's people will build, plant, and work securely, okay? Verse 21, they will build houses, they will inhabit them, they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen, my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. So you remember when Isaiah was talking to his people he was warning them that if they do not repent and follow that God, that God would judge them. And so really within the span of Isaiah's lifetime or just shortly before or after, there were two major invasions of God's people, one from the Assyrian Empire, one from the Babylonian Empire. So these things literally happened to some of God's people where their homes and their businesses and crops that they had planted were suddenly taken from them and now belonged to somebody else. It's kind of like in present-day Iraq. If you heard from our global workers last week, Paul and Andrea, who are working in the Middle East, they are working with refugees who have had that very thing happen to them, where ISIS will come into a village and say, do you identify with us or not? Will you convert to us or not? And if you do not, your house gets labeled, your businesses get labeled. And I heard Paul and Andrea tell a story of somebody that had a huge house and a big business, but had to just flee that and just leave that behind. Their story turned out to be a good one because through that, they met Christ. <laughs> I mean, I, I, they told different stories in each hour. They were here last week. I was pretty amazed at that. But the, the one I heard in the first service was um, that they are so thankful, that they were so willing to let go of that big house and their business because they found something better when they found Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So this is stuff that's happening today, not just in Old Testament times. And the promise is that in heaven, that doesn't happen that where you live is secure, that what you do with your hands and your work is secure. And uh, so just a couple things from that. Um, first is, uh, again, to kind of fight against the whole thing that heaven's going to be boring. Um, Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And so, I mean, he was a carpenter, so on earth he probably could put up a pretty good house, right? But I think not, he's not just a carpenter. He was the creator of all things. And he loves you like crazy, and he knows you like crazy. Can you imagine the place that he is building for you. It's going to be secure. It's going to be the perfect spot. Like some people think, am I going to fit in in heaven? Am I going to feel comfortable there? It's absolutely the one who loves you most, the one who can build things and create things the greatest, is preparing uh, the perfect place for you to live for all of eternity. And the other concept here is the concept of work. Um, work is a good thing, all right? So um, when God created Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, Genesis 2, before there was sin, they had work to do. And so um, what makes work kind of a pain now is this whole concept of sin. It's maybe your coworkers you're not getting along with or your job just seems routine or your own limitations hold you back from really performing like you'd love to perform. Imagine working in heaven where you're getting along great with your teammates where it's like the best day of your life ever times billions and you're as efficient, you're as effective, you're as energetic because there's no sin, there's no limitation and you are doing your work in the presence of your God 
to bring glory to him and you constantly see from him just pleasure towards you. Work is going to be awesome for us in heaven. So, um, and all those things you do will be secure. So the new heaven and new earth will also be a place where God will dwell with his people. Isaiah 65, 24, before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. And so just a great picture. I want to kind of pick us up on our tempo here a little bit. But just basically, you're just going to be very, just as you were created to be, very close to your creator, just in a very open uh, relationship with him. And even before you cry out, he, he knows what you need and he's going to hear your request. The next one, the new heaven and new earth, demonstrate that God is going to restore all things. You see Isaiah 65, 25, the wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion will eat straw like an ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will not hurt or destroy, or destroy in all my holy mountain. So what you see a picture there of is God restoring the relationships that were fractured because of the first sin. This, the, the fracture between creation and people will be restored. And you see lion and lamb laying together. That our God is a God who restores relationships between people, people in creation, and people in God. So I just, we need to, we need to uh, remember that even today. That as there are fractured relationships in our lives, maybe in our family, maybe with coworkers, maybe with people that are other believers, that God is a God who restores. There's hope for restoration. But in heaven, you're going to see that very clearly, that God is going to restore all of these broken relationships fractured by sin. And what's interesting, you might ask, okay, well, why is the serpent still eating dirt? Like, what's up with him? Like, how come, you know, it looks like it's good for the sheep now? can cuddle with a lion. He's not getting eaten, right? So what's up with the, the snake? And I think that's a reference back to Genesis 3, where it was the serpent who told the lie to Adam and Eve about God isn't good and sin isn't that big of a deal. And so in Genesis 3, God predicted that an offspring from the woman would be struck in the heel by the serpent, but that that offspring, it was Jesus Christ, would crush the serpent's head. And so you're seeing there the fulfillment that while everything else is flourishing, Satan is still, if you want to put it, just eating dirt, right? He is doing nothing. He has been vanquished and defeated forever. So that's, that's what's going on there. God is going to restore all things. And then finally, from Isaiah 66, 18, the new heaven and new earth will be a place where all the nations will gather. All the nations will gather. It talks about people from different nations and different tongues. And it's a picture of what we see in Revelation 5 also, where that picture of heaven from John said the exact same thing when John said, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, Jesus, because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them into a kingdom and priests uh, to our God and they will reign on the earth. So heaven's gonna be a place that is incredibly diverse. And about every way you can split humanity, tribe, language, people, nation, ethnicity, culture, everything will be there, all united around Jesus being the Savior, the one who has rescued them and has been the one who has taken them into eternity, into heaven, okay? So amazing pictures of, of heaven. And so I just want to summarize Isaiah now. And just, let's just imagine, what if Isaiah were to come and speak to us now? He said, okay, Parkview, you've been reading about me. You did some in December, some in March. In these last few months, you've been reading what I wrote. And what, what would Isaiah say to us? I think he would, 
I think he would say this. Remember, he was there. He was 700 years beforehand. On this little timeline up here, we'd be sitting right in here, right? Right between Jesus' first coming and second coming. I think Isaiah would say, you guys, did you see all that God has shown me that has already come true? Some pretty amazing things, like a virgin having a kid, um, like this child becoming a ruler who would reign forever, like this ruler who would suffer and die for the sins of the world, but who would then be raised from the dead. Like Isaiah said, those things kind of sound far-fetched and unbelievable, but that's, that's what's happened. That's what God showed me, and that is what has happened through Jesus Christ. And I think Isaiah would say, hey guys, would you wake up because you see what's coming? And as glorious and maybe far-fetched or whatever these things may sound to you, they're coming. Like this, this is what I saw. This is what God showed me. This is what we've already seen. And this is what is coming. And I think Isaiah would have the same message to us that he had to his people back then. Is are we ready? Are we ready? And I think one of the most powerful are you ready verses that Isaiah gave us is in Isaiah 57, 15, where he said this. He quoted from God. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, and whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. I think Isaiah would say, if you, if, if you want to be ready, if you want to be ready to enter new heaven and new earth, if you want God to dwell with you, uh, not just then, but even now, then look at what God says. He dwells with those who are contrite. That means we are broken about our sin, that we are repentant about the way we have rejected God, done our thing, rebelled against him, that we are contrite. And lowly in spirit means you're dependent on him. It's not about you, it's about him. You follow him, you listen to him, you serve him. I think that's a great description of responding to the gospel that Jesus has died for our sins and that any one of us here that acknowledges that we have sinned against a holy God will receive forgiveness from that holy God. And then as we continue to walk in our days in dependence on him, then he's going to help us. He's going to grow us. He's going to change us. And he's going to revive us. The word he used twice was revive us. You know, there's a lot of talk today about reviving our country. Our country needs revival you guys, it's got to start right here with us. And so Isaiah has just been pleading with us, because if you want revival in your lives, you've got to be honest about your sin, you've got to lay your sin before God, and you've got to walk in utter dependence on Jesus Christ and follow him, and then watch him bring life into your life, and watch him revive you and restore you and your relationships. Watch him restore your marriage and your family. Watch him restore your relationships. Watch him restore this church and revive this church, and then let's start talking about the country, but let's start here. And this is what Isaiah would say, let's start here. And how crucial it is for us in order to have, I think the urgency toward that is that we've got to understand what's coming, and we've got to ask ourselves, are we ready? A good friend of mine, two weeks ago, uh, flew across the country to be with his sister, uh, who could die any day now from cancer. And this family, he's already lost his mom and his dad to cancer within about the last eight years. And so this friend of mine, about two, three, four years ago, um, the gospel sank in with him. Like he would say now that he's following Jesus, maybe not like a few years ago. And his sister has known Jesus for a long time, this one who's dying. 
She'd been praying for him for years. And so when he began to start following Jesus, it brought her such great joy. And so she's dying. He flies across the country. He texts me a couple weeks ago and says, can you give me some verses on heaven? My sister just wants, we just want to pray about heaven and talk about heaven. And so when he came back, he said, what was that like? I just, first of all, I just commend you for whatever it took for you to, your schedule, your time, the finances to go be with her. What was that like? And he was just talking about which is the amazing gift it was for him to be with somebody who was that close to death, who was that excited and passionate. Again, it's kind of a younger woman, but who is excited and passionate to be with Jesus. And just and what, a, what an encouragement it was to her that now her brother is sharing in this as well and that they're weeping and they're laughing and they're remembering and they're just looking at what's true and, and what's coming. And he says, that's the greatest gift I've ever been given is just to see her joy and her readiness to face death and to go be with Jesus. It just fired my friend up so much. And I just, I put that out there like, you guys, we've got to know what's coming. and We've got to make sure we're ready for that. And then families, let me just say here, this is the time like to just, to, to be real with each other. Where are we? You know, where are we with this God who restores? Like a little, whatever the things that are separating us and stressing us out right now, let's, let's come together around this one who wants to restore, who wants to revive. And if there's some uncertainty, like, well, I don't know, I've never talked to my uncle, I've never talked to dad, I've never talked to my brother about where are you with this whole heaven and Jesus and gospel thing? Like, this is the time. Our lives are, it's like a vapor and we're gone. We've got to be ready to face eternity. So let me, let me pray. Let me pray for us. Jesus, would you help us catch the urgency and the intensity that Isaiah had throughout his book for your people to really square up with who you are and with who we are and how desperately we need you. God, would this not be just another Sunday where we came to church and we heard a sermon, but would you take these powerful truths about eternity and just and grab our attention. Jesus, remind us uh, that you call us to yourself, that if, no, if some of us here don't know you yet, that this would be the Sunday we square up with that. We give you our sin and we receive from you forgiveness in your life. And God, if there's any just relationship in this room that needs uh, just to come before you to cry out for your restoration and for your deliverance, God, may that happen this morning. Thank you, God. This would be a time to pray. There will be leaders up here ready to pray, but I pray this would be a day that we see you revive us individually, that you see we see you revive families, that we see you revive a church. Thank you, Jesus, for what is coming for those who love you and are following you. Thank you for the amazing descriptions of eternity, and may we truly be ready. May we live this day in light of that day. In your great name, we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.